Okay, good morning. So sorry we're starting late. A little technology challenge. Those watching online, we apologize that we are late. It's always an honor and a privilege and a pleasure to have people joining us not only live and in person, which is the primary and best way to learn in person, exchanging energy and feeling connected, but also an honor and a privilege there are people from around the world sending love to our friend in Toronto, Ms. Irene Kat, and friends everywhere. And thank you for tuning in and being part of this. Big thank you to our uh, series sponsor for the year, Dr. Zavi and Bella Morgan, in memory of Rabbi Dr. Brian Galbit, and in memory of Bella's mother, Dr. Ellen Shanzer. Big yashikoach and a thank you to them. Also, this morning, Shir is sponsored by Yanina and Gordon Hassan, in memory of Yanina's mother, Aida Leichtman, Chaya Bas Simcha, Zirotzeit. It's the fourth of Tevis today, and in memory of Rabbi Pinchas, Mordechai Taitz, whose Yirtzeit was yesterday, I believe. Today also? Rabbi Taitz, 26th Yirtzeit, I think. Neshama Shadavan Aliyah as well. Who's a great role model for all of us. I remember Rabbi Taitz very well. Family comes from Elizabeth and uh, much time spent there. And much of the rabbinate modeled after uh, things I saw and learned from him. Okay, we continue. We're back. We keep taking a break for several weeks. We're back in the Sefer Haaros. The insights of Revolbaan Emuna. Hopefully everybody is doing their homework. First bracha of the day with Kavana. By show of hands, how well are we doing? That is not a very good grade. Wow. Okay. All you're telling me is that we have to continue to learn, to study, to grow, to remember. I have a dear friend, Ben, texts me every single morning his cup with the words, had kavana for my first bracha of the day. So everyone else can feel free to do that too. I'm not going to be able to get back to everybody if you do. But our coffee cups are uh, in production. But uh, we have to remember, first bracha of the day. That shahakal, that first cup of coffee that's going to return, it's going to bring us back to life. To thank Hashem for everything that goes into it and everything else. To thank Hashem for waking up that morning. To thank Hashem for the magnificent weather, the ambiance. To thank Hashem for our lives. That's your homework. Let's do a little better at it. To try to be mindful. You're about to lift that cup and you're about to just take that sip and you're about to swallow the bracha even as fast as you swallow the coffee on your way to whatever you're doing. Pause. Be mindful. Slow down. We mentioned last night in the sitter snippet, we're going to get back into the Sefer. Promise. It's just a free flow of thought, the Amun Ashir. So uh, we mentioned last night in the sitter snippet an insight of the Baal Shem Tov. Hashem Yikom Damor of Kalanimus Kalman Shapira, who was the Rav of Warsaw, of Piazetzna, then of Warsaw, who was murdered by the Nazis. And he wrote a book called Hachshara Savrechem. Chovas HaTalmidim is his guide for students in Yeshiva. Hachshara Savrechem is his guide for those who are a little bit older, studying, learning in Kolel, about how to be mindful, about how to live, and so on and so forth. So, he quotes in there from the Baal Shem Tov. Baal Shem Tov, we say in the second paragraph of Shema, Va'avadatim Mehera, that if we don't listen to Hashem, second paragraph begins, Im Shamoa Tishmu'u. If you listen, why the double language? Shamoa Tishmu'u. If you open up all the Sedurim and Chumashim, everybody struggles to translate that. If you really listen, if you hearken and listen, if you listen intently, Shema Tishmu is the same word twice. Why the double language? Why the redundancy? What is the Torah communicating? It's a beautiful Orchayim HaKadosh who says, Im Shema Tishmu. If you really listen, you're going to hear things. We don't really listen. I, I just came from a bris that was out of school. I'm not, this is a universal problem. I'm not talking about any specific uh, group of young people. Could be adults. But I was walking out of the bridge just as school was beginning and all these young people were coming in from the parking lot. And I tried to say hello and good morning, hello. But everybody was looking down. Yeah. I don't think there was one per- kid who looked at me and said, hi, good morning. Right. Every- they're not bad. 
I'm guilty, I'm sure of the same thing, from the car into my office, into shacharis, still catching up and answering and listening. And So we're always on the fly, we're always on the move. And even while we're listening, we're not really listening. We're listening with half an ear, and we're listening, Stephen Covey writes in his Seven Habits, then most people listen with the intent to reply. Listening is just our having to take our turn until we get to answer. But while we're listening, we've already formulated our reply, our answer, what we want to say. We're not actively listening. We haven't shut off all the output so we can allow input. There's output in our own mind, how we're processing what the other person's saying. We're not bothering listening because we already know what they're going to say or we already know better than what they're going to say. And then when it's our turn, because hopefully we have some etiquette and courtesy, then we answer. So we don't really know how to listen. He has a whole chapter about active listening. What does it mean to be a real listener? Something we learned from Yisro. Vayishma Yisro. Yisro knew how to really listen. That's why he heard the message. Everybody else read headlines. Yisro heard what was really happening all around him. But we're living, if that was a challenge and a problem then, all the more so today, where there's so much noise and so many devices, and there's things coming in, buzzing and beeping and vibrating on text and email, on everything is coming in. Carrier pigeon is going to land on your shoulder and give you a note. We have things coming in in every which way, in every which direction. How could you possibly be zoned in and listen? On the average day between Milcha Marav, I'm not ranking on our members now. You know how often I'm standing up there, I'm giving a Dvar Torah, and I'm looking at a room that some are chapan ashluf, between Milcha Marav, God bless. But others are, you know, they're looking down, they're scrolling. I was at a wedding on Monday night. You sit at the chuppah. Someone had a laptop at the chuppah. I'd never seen that before. People, somebody had a laptop, they were getting stuff done. I was a little jealous of them, but also thought it wasn't the right, wasn't the right thing to do. We're not listening. We're not present in anything that we're doing. So Rechaim HaKadr says, Im shamoa, If you really listen, Tishmu. You're going to hear things. If you're really engaged in listening, if you're listening actively, if you're looking around this world, if you're trying to see and feel Hashem, Im shamoa, Hashem is speaking to us all the time. Is our antenna extended? Are we tuned into the frequency to pick Him up? He's sending out the radio signal all the time. There are messages that come across. There are coincidences and there are brachas and blessings and there are things that happen that are clearly orchestrated and designed. But if you're always like this, you don't even realize, wow. I was involved last week with someone who experienced a miracle of Hanukkah. Someone waited a long time for something enormous. And it came through on Hanukkah. And you know why it happened? Because Hashem has a lot of messengers. And in this case, he sent a dog. A dog? What did the dog do? The dog bit someone. And that someone was replaced by someone else. And that someone else spiraled into a series of events that led to this other person getting a miracle of salvation that they had been waiting for, that they started to believe was never going to come. All because of a dog bite. There's no way that dog was here by accident or bit that person by accident. I wish the person well. But Hashem orchestrated the entire thing and nobody, nobody in that individual's world who were rooting for her and cheering for her and fighting for her, nobody for all the money in the world could have predicted that that's how it was going to come about. Nobody. That a dog would bite and the person would be replaced and that would start a string of events and that would lead to her freedom. Nobody thought it in a million years. Get out of his way. Let him do his thing. Never stop believing that he can, that he can make it happen. He's Akol Yachol. He's the king of kings, the Melch Malchayam Lachim. So he's speaking to us all the time. He's speaking to you when you go outside and it's a clear, beautiful day. He's speak, he's, it's unbelievable when he speaks. Im Shamoa, but if you're listening, Tishmu.
Last night, I, I have a Honda Accord. It's a year or two old. The lease, it changes. I'm not flexing right now because nobody's ever quoted having a Honda Accord and flexed. It's a Honda Accord. Uh, it's not a flex that, it, you know, it's a lease, a three-year lease. But last night, I was with Yechevet somewhere. We get in the car and I pressed the button to start it. And the car started, but the dashboard didn't line up. It was weird. So I turned it off and did it again, and it didn't happen again. Then I turned it off, and I left it for one minute, and it came back on. So at first, I was all flustered and frustrated, and how do you drive? There's no speedometer, and I could do okay with that. This speedometer doesn't usually influence how fast I drive anyway. So, you know, but the whole screen weighs. I can't live without that. You can't live without that. You got to know where the policeman is and where the traffic is. So I turned it off, I left it 60 seconds, and I tried it again, and it came back on. So my first reaction was like, this is ridiculous, this is, why didn't it work? Pay a lot of money, this monthly lease, what, are you kidding me? And then I said, wow, every time it works, it's a miracle. A car is a computer, and you push a button, and all these things light up, and everything works. Why should we assume it should work every time? It's unbelievable, every time you step on the gas, every time you step on the brake, every time you turn the steering wheel. God forbid there are people who step on the brake and it didn't work. They step on the gas and it doesn't work. Something happens wrong. The car malfunctions. So that was Hashem speaking to us. It was a little reminder. I know you took for granted for the last 20 years when you get in the car and you turn the thing, everything lights up and works. Let me not let it work for one minute, one, 60 seconds. So that at least for one day when you get in the car again, you'll be like, wow, it's a miracle. It turned on. It's unbelievable. Im shamoa, if we're listening to see Hashem everywhere around us, to Okay, fine. Now this is what I want to talk about. What was my point? Because then we get to, but if we don't listen, if we're not obedient, we're not observant, we don't, we don't execute God's will, we're not meeting His blueprint, His formula for life, we think we know better, we think we're smarter, we think we're going to figure it out on our own, so we dismiss Him. So Torah says, I'm going to hold back the heavens, it's not going to rain, and the, the earth is not going to give its abundance, you're going to go hungry. You're going to go hungry. We go to Publix or Winn-Dixie and we expect the food to be on the shelves. We're not farmers. We don't live off of and rely on the rain. But if the other farmer, your income, your livelihood, your food, your next meal relies on the rain. And Hashem says, I'm going to give you immediate feedback. It's not going to rain if you're not living a proper life. And then all of that was a build-up to these two words. Vavadatimehira. So the simple understanding of the words Vavadatimehira is that you will be quickly thrown out of the land. The land of Israel is a Shemitah year. Israel is no ordinary land. The land of Israel has, has a life, has a personality. The land of Israel has mitzvahs ba'aretz. The earth, the soil is holy. When I make a garden in America, there's no mitzvah of truma and maisa, there's no mitzvah of Shemitah. It's just dirt. In America, outside of Israel, it's dirt. Again, uh, we love the earth, we have to take good care of it, yada, yada, yada. But it's just dirt. It's dirt. It's there to serve us, we're not there to serve it. It's just dirt, soil, it's earth, it's dirt. In Israel, it's not dirt, it has a personality. It's, it's Eretz HaKadot, it's a holy land. It has a spirit. And the Torah tells us that if you don't live properly on it, it will spit you out and vomit you out. We will be forced into exile. It cannot tolerate moral corruption. It cannot tolerate, it cannot tolerate immorality. And it will spit, spit us out. You will quickly be exiled from that land. Okay, all this was this build-up. So the Baal Shem Tov says, read it a little bit differently. Vavarta Mehera doesn't mean that you'll quickly be dispersed, you'll be exiled, you'll be kicked off the land. Says the Baal Shem Tov, if you want to be a good listener, you want to get back to Shamo Tishmu, you want to be a good listener, you want to lead a rich and meaningful and purpose-driven life, Vavaratem, you have to get rid of 
Mehera. Stop being in such a rush. Va'avadatem. Dismiss, get rid of. The Piyazetz Rebbe says, how many bad decisions do we make because we were in a rush? We didn't stop. We didn't think it out. We didn't consider all the angles. We didn't see the holistic picture. We didn't consult other people smarter than ourselves. We're just in a rush. We're moving, moving, moving. Always looking down, typing, moving, running, going, doing, noise. And how many relationships do we sabotage? And how many decisions is our judgment clouded? Vavaratem mehera. Get rid of that sense of mehera. Vavaratem. Destroy, obliterate, get rid of that attitude of mehera. Slow down to the speed of life. Slow. Take that deep breath. Regroup. Make that decision. We've got to get rid of that mehira. Get rid of that attitude of moving, 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 going, 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 doing, doing, doing. Because you know what happens when you're living with mehira? You can't see him. You'll never hear him or see him. It's hard enough when you're paying attention. It's hard enough when you're mindful. It's hard enough when you're moving along slowly. But if you're running, racing, moving at the speed of light, what Greg McKeon and Essentialism calls, instead of building momentum, you have motion sickness. You're always in motion. And you're confusing busyness with productivity and busy, busy, crazy, busy, psycho, busy, doing busy. Got to slow down. Get rid of the mehera and find Hashem. Talk to Him, feel Him, connect with Him, be grateful to Him, ask of Him, complain to Him, protest Him. But He's there. Okay, back inside. I have us on page Pevav. You tell me if I'm on the right planet or not. Pevav Yud base. Yeah? Well, that's where we're starting anyway. You don't remember much better than I do. Says Rav Olba, righteous person. We answer Amen to one another. You stand at Kiddush, someone says, You're at the Bris, Amen. Someone's saying, Kaddish and Shul, Amen. We're good. We have Amen groups. I think last week I walked outside, a group of women were still coming out of the Amunashir, and I heard one of them with her or water, or drink, make a bracha out loud, and the other answer, amen, and I got a lot of nachas. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing. Amen. We answer and we say amen. But do we know what we're really saying? Do we understand what the words even mean when we say amen? We need to learn it. We need to think about it. We need to be present with it. And now with all 90 amens, granted, you're in the middle of something, not with every amen can you stop and really be present and spend the time to really unpack and really think about it. So Ravoba writes in his Ali Shore, he's quoting it here, that, so let's at least designate, let's identify certain amens that we're going to try very hard to be present for. Just like it's hard to be mindful of every brach of all a hundred. So Ravoba said, start with ten. And I say, start with one. So too, it's hard to be present with every Amen. But let's identify a few. We don't really begin to even understand the power and the capacity and the potential inside ourselves. We don't even know what we can achieve in Amuna, in faith. We don't even begin to understand who we are and how we can live and how much peace and serenity and tranquility, how much satisfaction and happiness and purpose, how we can have such less aggravation and anxiety and envy and arrogance. We have it within us, that Amuna. We have it within us to be able to stop and say, thank you, Hashem, 
I see you, Hashem, or I need you, Hashem. And to have that animate our lives, not just be simply a class we go to or a WhatsApp we subscribe to or a story that we tell at the Shabbos table, but actually when we're in the difficult moment to catch ourselves and say, I'm not going to get frustrated because the dashboard didn't light up and I'm not going to get frustrated or upset and I'm not going to be envious of what someone else has. I'm going to stop and I'm going to say to myself, Shem, whatever's meant to be, I trust you, you're in charge. You're in charge. I'm putting my faith in you. We have that capacity. Do you ever walk out of a... Do you ever work out? you ever exercise? And when you're done exercising, your body feels more alive. You, know, you describe it as your juices are flowing. If you sit sedentary the whole day, so your muscles atrophy, they say there's all kinds of research that more dangerous and more unhealthy than smoking packs of cigarettes a day is sitting still. Never getting up. A lot of people are getting very rich off of making devices for your wrist. This is how pathetic we are. That we need things that will buzz and beep and say, stand up, you pathetic loser. Stand up for a second and sit down. Don't forget to stand up. We have even more pathetic. Don't forget to breathe. The first generation that has been reminded to breathe. Don't forget to breathe. Don't forget to stand up. Don't forget to take a few steps. You're thinking historically they had to remember to take steps? All they did was take steps. You were running around your work, your farm, your home. You were running down to the river to do the laundry. You were running to, to shech the cow. You were running, 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 running. And we live in a generation that we sit in a chair at 9 a.m. And at 5 p.m. we stand up to go home to sit on the couch from 7 p.m. to 11 p.m. to lie in bed. So we have to make all kinds of apps and devices and people get rich by having things buzz and beep and remind us don't forget to stand up. Don't forget to breathe. Don't forget to move. Don't forget to call your wife. Don't forget to... We have to be reminded of what should be the obvious and simple and most basic things in the entire world. So when we work out, this is my experience, it's not nearly often enough, but if or when we exercise, I always feel afterwards more alive. The juices are flowing, you're awake, you're alive. You could still feel your muscles pulsating even after you've worked them a little bit. And then you say, I feel different than I did beforehand. I'm more mindful. I'm not going to eat or put that poison in my body that I just worked hard to take care of. I'm more conscious of my breathing or of my, of my bustle, muscles or my posture or how I feel. We're more alive. So says Revolba, what's true physically is also true spiritually. If you walk away from a davening where you were really present. So it's not a shakri, as you said, while you were still putting the dishes in the sink and you were then getting the backpack packed and you were still uh, making the coffee, pressing the kerig, Coffee snobs, it's okay, carrying is fine. We're not, right, you're not, it's not a, da- it's a davening where you stood still, you took a sitter and you said in your finger and you said every word and you tried to be present and you said, I'm in a conversation with Hashem and like yesterday we said in the Pasha class, Vaigash love Yehuda, first we talk to ourselves before we talk to Him to gather our thoughts and think about our day and build the confidence and the courage and the conviction for what we need to ask. And when we have a davening like that, when you walk out of a davening like that, when you make a bracha, when you make that shakol, Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu Melech Olam, shakol Nieh Bidvaro. I'm just showing off for you. I wish I made brachas like that the whole day. I just, you know, I talk about it. I gotta, I'm just showing off a little bit here. Halavai, those would be the brachas I make all day long. But when you make a bracha like that, the rest of the cup of coffee is a different cup of coffee. It's it. Every sip you're imbibing emuna. You're imbibing Hashem. You're tasting, you're feeling, you're alive with Hashem. So he says, 
Say Amen with a different mindfulness. Make a bracha with a different mind. Dab with a different mindfulness. Go outside in the car. Kindalach, carpool. Before you rush in and you fight and who gets to sit where and you're still and don't spill the oatmeal. Just look, you just stand. Before anyone gets in the car. Everybody, deep breath. Clear blue sky, the sun, the breeze, this weather. Palm just unbelievable. Okay, now Hashem, Hashem's in the car also. He doesn't complain about his seat. Hashem's also in the minivan. He's also on the way. He's also on his way. So we have that capacity in us. We have that capacity. I told the story in a drusha several months ago. Uh, it's already several months ago, so I don't really remember the details. But there was a woman whose grandchild was playing outside. She heard a scream. She went out. She found him pinned under the car. She mustered all of her might. She was able to lift and move the car to be able to free him, and he wasn't hurt badly. And of course, this was major news. She was close to 70. And that, that's very young today. That she was close to 70. It's very young. But um, she came outside, and you know, most 70-year-olds are not lifting cars. Most 30-year-olds are not lifting cars. So it made headlines. It was a story. And all the news tried to get an interview with her. How'd you do it? What'd you hear? Were you afraid? Did you panic? And she refused to be interviewed for years and years and years. And finally, somebody found the story years later and got through to her and was willing to interview her and said, how come you refuse to ever be interviewed? Why would you never tell your story? So she said, it was a motivational speaker who had found it and contacted her. She said, you know why? Because I'm ashamed and embarrassed. He said, ashamed and embarrassed? You saved your grandson's life. It was an act of heroism. What do you mean? What are you ashamed and what are you embarrassed about? She said, you know, right afterwards, I had this horrific feeling. If I have the strength to lift a car, why had I never done so until now? If that strength was latent, was potential, was inside me all along, why did it take my grandson being trapped underneath for me to realize it, for me to use it? So this motivational speaker who interviewed her said, you know, it's not too late. And at 70, she went back to college. She finished college, which was a dream of her she had never done. She became a professor at college in her 70s and into her 80s. And he said that strength is inside you all alone. What are the strengths that are inside us? That's what Revolve is writing here. He says, we have that capacity to live with Amuna. So you know what happens? We get trapped under the car. We all know how to dive in the atheist in the foxhole thing, right? So you have a massive headache or you're going through a stomach virus or you are, have a child or a grandchild because we're only as happy. I was told I'm not supposed to say this because it makes the child or the grandchild feel guilty. But we're only as happy as our least happy child or grandchild. That's a general rule of life. Again, nobody should feel guilty, child or grandchild, but it's, it's a reality. I don't feel bad saying it because I think it's a beautiful reflection on parenting. That parents are so intertwined with their children and grandchildren that our happiness is limited, it is defined, it is bound. We are only as happy as our least favorite, as our least happy. Oops. <laughs> beep, beep, beep. Let's back up. Back that up a little bit. Wow. We are only as happy as our least happy child or, or grandchild or grandchild. So Khalila, you hear news about a child or grandchild. Your own health is a scare. You're waiting for a lab report to come back. We know if we stop and think about it in our lives, there have been those moments where we daven like there was never, we daven like nobody else ever. We were like the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur. We were like, like we've davened. When there's someone, something we care so desperately about and we felt so helpless and hopeless to control, we've been there where we've davened. Says Revolba, you just revealed to yourself that you have that potential. 
you reveal to yourself that you have that potential. Now you have no excuse. Now you have no excuse. I was not a good student as a child. I say that only so that I can now tell you, I have children who mature and develop and blossom to become great students, but when they were younger, they did not necessarily appreciate the importance of studying and of school. And so they would struggle with grades and then you know, you have an intervention and you gotta buckle down and then they get a good grade because they had a better study habit, they tried and they get back a 96. And I tell them, this has happened to more than one of my children. I say, ooh, that's bad news for you. They came home so happy, so proud, bad news. That's my reaction, that's bad. Not like the Jewish father, where were the other four points thing, but that's bad news for you. Why was it bad news for you? I said, because you just proved to me and to your teacher and most of all to yourself that you're capable of the 96. All along you have these excuses. I can't and I don't want to and my teacher has it in for me and I, I have learning issues and I, I can't. All, none of them necessarily anything bad with. So you got the, all you had to do was study, you got the 96, now you're in trouble. Because now you proved you can. Now you proved you can. We're accountable, we become accountable for what we could have done right. I said this with Vidoy Meiser. The farmer, when the farmer finishes the process of giving the tithes, they come to the base of they recite a Vidoy Meiser, a confession regarding their tithes, which is a bizarre confession. We've spoken about this many times. Farmer's confession is, I've done nothing right. I've done nothing wrong, rather. I'm perfect. I gave all the tithes properly. I did everything correctly. I'm perfect, which is a bizarre confession. We use the word confession. So Rabbi says, it's called a confession because if you did this right, how much more could you have done right? When we admit we did something well and we did it right, we also sort of incriminate ourselves because it means if I could do this right, how much more could I do right? So this woman said, if I could lift the car when my grandson was trapped underneath it, I have that power and that strength to do incredible things. Why does it take the moment of crisis or catastrophe? And Revolba would say, if I have the ability to daven when I feel hopeless and helpless, if I can daven when there's a crisis or panic, then why can't I daven regularly like that? I have that amuna in me. I have that faith. I have that drive. I have that ability. Why can't I find it? Why can't I find it? The Oshanas Vashana Rabba Omrim on the next page, page Zayim. And the Oshana Vashana Rabba, we say, Oshiyan Nashol Shaos Oshana. Says Revolbi, a tradition from my teachers that before Mashiach is going to come, there'll be an enormous, a tremendous darkness in the world. You won't be able to see anything. And we'll be able to, we'll struggle with faith. Is the Holocaust not an enormous darkness that fell upon the world? In different ways, this pandemic, millions of losses of lives and all kinds of consequences of people who didn't lose their lives but their lives will never be the same physically, mentally, we haven't even begun to measure the impact of this pandemic before Mashiach comes there will be a darkness and you won't even be able to see a light you won't even be able to see a way out that darkness will last three hours and when we say Hoshana's on Hoshana Rabbah we are already anticipating and thinking about and davening for when that darkness will descend on this world and those three hours, literally and metaphorically, we will struggle to see or to find you. Hoshana, Hashem, save us. Save us from ourselves. Save us from despair. Save us from hopelessness. Save us from that darkness where we can't even see you. Says I think we are in those three hours. So many people are walking around with no faith. 
So many people have given up. So many people are in despair and despondency. So many people fail to believe. They fail to believe. But you know, the story, which I know I'm only referencing cryptically, of last week and continued in other ways into this week, it gave me such a burst and a jolt of amuna. The person who received this salvation, this miracle that they were waiting for, the day before the dog got hungry, took a bite, had called me and said, you know, I can't see this ever changing. I'm going to be stuck this way forever. I've tried everything. There's nothing left. It's just not going to happen. This is just my lot. This is my reality. The day before. And the very next day, Hashem said, that's not your lot. That's not your reality. Don't limit me. Don't second guess me. And he sent a hungry dog to take a bite, which led to a chain of events, which six weeks later, let her attain a miracle which she thought was not possible. A Jew doesn't despair. A Jew doesn't break. A Jew doesn't give up. Whatever great song. is a great song. A Yid never breaks. We don't break. We don't despair. It doesn't matter the darkness that has descended upon us and the hardship and the pain that people have gone through. Tragically, we have fewer and fewer and less and less examples. But you see a Holocaust survivor who continues to have faith in Hashem? I don't think there's anyone alive who's gone through no matter... And there are people who have struggled the challenges of Eov. But you add them all up and they don't add up to what a Holocaust survivor who lost siblings and parents and children and was tortured and tormented and persecuted in a concentration camp. We can't begin to, we can't imagine. In our wildest imagination, we can't imagine. In our wildest imagination, we can't imagine. And when they have faith in Hashem, when they have faith in Hashem, despite the darkness, to find Hashem, to find that light in the darkness, it's unbelievable. I have a good friend, a member of our community, Saul Friedman. We went to Poland together. We took a great trip to Poland. Some good friends here, we went together. And there was one night he got up. I hope I'm not going to embarrass him, but if I know Saul, I'm not embarrassing him. And uh, people shared at dinner their experience. The majority of the people who went were second or third generation of survivors who had not been back to Majdanek and Treblinka and Auschwitz-Birkenau and had seen the gas chambers and the crematoria and the shooting wall and the mass graves and pits. It's an unbelievable, life-changing trip. And for a kid who's, you know, it's also life-changing, but for a second generation who has to go through that trip picturing their parents in that barrack or against that wall or standing next to that pit, it's just absolutely life-changing. So the whole trip we were talking about, the martyrs, the six million, the Kedoshim, what they went through and who we lost. But Saul Freeman got up at dinner one night, very emotional, and he said, oh, and he said, he said, you know, he will never think about, not the martyrs, but the survivors the same way again. He said he grew up, his father was a survivor, his father worked in the post office. And he became a, a big accountant, was a large accountant firm, very successful, Baruch Hashem. And he said he grew up and he thought his father was like post office. He broke through. He had an education. He became an accountant. He built a firm. He became a somebody. And his father was a, a post office. But after, I think it was the day of Auschwitz-Birkenau, he said, he said, my father was a malach. My father was an angel. My father was an angel. I, I can't measure up to... En-. And it, the tragedy was that so many of the people on the trip, their parents were gone. And the trip stimulated them to have so many questions. 
and to want to have so many conversations and it bore a terrible hole in their heart to now having experienced that trip and not be able to have those conversations, to not be able to connect. Oh, half the trip is here. But Saul in particular, and he continues to talk about it till today, he says, we don't do enough to honor survivors. We have all kinds of tributes and memorials and dedications to the martyrs. But we should talk about the survivors. I don't know in all of Jewish history, and please God, there never will be again in all of Jewish history. A group of people who went through what they went through and rebuilt, who went through what they went through, and a member of our community was playing golf with his kids on Sunday, maybe Monday, started to rain, went into the clubhouse, and there was an old man, and they started a conversation here in Boca. He's 100 years old, and he's the last living person rescued by Schindler. And he told them the story about being rescued by Schindler. And then just, you know, then I went to Israel and I volunteered and fought in the Haganah to found the state of Israel after being rescued and being a skeleton. And these people tell these stories like, like they're nothing. Like they're nothing. I'm going to try to have them behind the bima. And he's just playing golf, being retired in Boca, 100 years old. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. So why am I sharing all of this with you in closing? Because as always, our time goes flying by. Because that's Hoshana, Shalashos, Hoshana. Period of darkness or despair, whatever you're going through in your life. I'm not trying to say ignore the pain. Remember we read from Rav Leuchter, from Rav Volba a few weeks ago. They paid the Shiva call and the Rosh Hashiva was acting like this is Hashem's plan. I'm happy, all is good. And he said this Rosh Hashiva is going to crash. Rav Volba left and told Rav Leuchter, this Rosh Hashiva is going to crash and burn. Because Hashem doesn't expect us to not feel pain. You lose someone you love, you feel pain. You go through a hard time. You live with disappointment or pain. It's painful. It's okay. But one thing is to experience the pain without, without abandoning the faith. The anchor, the ship, when the storm comes, Amuna is the anchor that holds us steady. You're not going to do well by pretending there's not a storm. There's a storm. You've got to steady yourself with an anchor. And Amuna is that anchor. So when I... Baruch Hashem, I'm blessed in life, a billion times to not have meaningful, difficult challenges. But whatever moment or difficult day or difficult decision or difficult disappointment, you start thinking about the survivors. You think about the people around us who've gone through much worse things and to maintain their faith and we latch on to them. We attach ourselves to them. We grab their coattails and we ride their, their back. And we realize that you can find Hashem even in the darkness. Light that candle. Turn up that dimmer. Find Hashem. He's always there. Don't despair. He has extraordinary ways of working. From one day giving up and thinking something's impossible to the next day, the beginning of a string of events that bring about something you never dreamt in a million years. And therefore, Well, I'm with this line. It's paragraph Tesvav. Revolbe says something you'd never expect. A great mashkiach of Yerushalayim. Revolbe. He says, sometimes I begin to get weak. Sometimes I begin to have a crisis of faith. Sometimes I wonder, where is he? And why isn't he taking care of me? And then I remember we're in these three hours and I need to be machazik myself. I need to strengthen myself. I need to prepare myself. I need to be able to get through in order to be able to weather this storm. So that's the period that we're in. We're in that period in the context of Jewish history. We're in that period in this pandemic. We're in that period... Personally, there are individuals here and who are listening or watching now or later going through hard times. 
but we have what it takes. Like the grandmother who lifted the car, we have what it takes to be able to dig deep and find that potential, that power, that will to turn to him, to attach ourselves to him. And when we feel ourselves struggling or stumbling, find someone with faith and attach yourself to them. Find someone with faith and attach yourself to them. And please God, will bring the light to dispel the darkness of despair, to turn things around and to have only bracha and Yeshua in our lives. We're off next week. I have a conflict next week, but we resume in two weeks. See everybody in two weeks. Until then, by the way, you want to hear Amuna? Nine o'clock tonight. Just as Richard Bernstein was born blind, he had every reason in the world to have a lot of complaints and give up on God. Instead, he became a Supreme Court Justice in Michigan. He's run 25 marathons. He's competed in an Ironman. While he was training for one of those marathons, a bicyclist in Central Park lost control and ran right into him at 35 miles an hour and broke almost every bone in his body. He was in the hospital for 10 weeks straight. And he never gave up his faith in Hashem. It's a blind triathlete, Supreme Court justice, whose every bone was crushed. And you have to hear his positivity and his faith in Hashem. If you don't listen tonight at 9 p.m., turn it on on a podcast player or YouTube tomorrow. I promise you, you will not be the same after you listen. His energy, his positivity, he's an extraordinary, extraordinary inspiration. Till next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and stay holy.